0: Y'all believing with me? Yes. Hallelujah. Glory. Now, you know, I'm not a big, you know, holiday message guy, you know. Fourth of July, we do the patriotic message. On Christmas, we do the Christmas. I'm not, you know, Labor Day, we do the labor message. I'm not that guy. Okay. Um, you know, so, but this last week, God has been dealing with me about just taking time today uh, away from what we've been talking about with our inheritance and talking about the covenant and communion. Because today um, it marks the day that Jesus died in 29 A.D. So 1977 years ago was when our covenant was finished. That's what today we're marking. We marked that the covenant was finished. Really, it was it finished on Good Friday. It finished on Friday. Between Friday, I talked about this Friday night. Between Friday and this morning, 1977 years ago, Jesus was in hell paying our punishment for so that we don't have to go there. And then he beat, it says he spoiled them, but he took the keys for death, hell, and the grave, and then he got out of there. Then he preached to all the saints, the Old Testament saints, that were across that great gulf called Paradise or Abraham's bosom. Then they all went out of there. And the ones that just died recently, they jumped back in their bodies, stopped by and said, Hey, how's it going? just met Jesus. You should hook up with this. Uh, And and then left. That would freak you out, wouldn't it? Well, that was an Easter Sunday for some folks, wasn't it? (laughs) Sitting around for family dinner and Aunt Sissy came in. She died yesterday. But... um. So that's what happened. I've taught on the covenant before when when the the church was established on uh, a series called Covenant for Dummies. So we've we've taught on the covenant before. But I want to go over the nine steps of the covenant. We're going to teach the covenant today and show how that goes in with communion. Because communion is not just some religious thing that we do. It's not symbolic. See, people think it's symbolism. It isn't. We'll find out what it is today. And uh, really... uh, It's it'll just change your thinking imagine that come in here and it'll change your thinking god help us So let's pray because I need help heavenly father. I thank you for the anointing and giving me utterance Father if I mess it up in the saying I thank you for fixing it in the hearing before it gets downrange. And father I ask you for a spirit of wisdom for every individual and that you'd enlighten the eyes of each individual's Understanding and that you would reveal yourself to us in a big way so to be real in Jesus name. Amen all right, well, I had a scripture, but of course, we're not going to start there. Genesis 3, let's go all the way back to the beginning, and then we'll get back on the slides, I promise. Of course, I say that every week, though, don't I? Okay, Genesis 3 and verse 15. Quick setup, this is where Adam and Eve lost it all, okay? Remember that? Well, it, Eve didn't sin, you all know that, right? All the women said, amen. It said Adam sinned. Adam got the rhema, don't eat that. Eve didn't get Rama on that. Adam passed it down to Eve. Spoken Ramah's spoken word of God. God spoke to Adam. didn't speak to Eve. And so when Eve was deceived, Adam should have rose up and took his place Amen. and said, no, we ain't doing that. Right. And it would all got fixed. Right. Even after Eve ate. But no, he said, okay, baby. And, and men have been doing that ever since, right? Yeah, and, and that's the mess we're in. All right, so after that, now... God is letting them... Now, see, God didn't curse the planet. People say, see, God... No, the curse happened because of this. And God, in His mercy, lets them know what happened so they don't wake up in the morning and go, what's going on? Because everything's changed now. So God's telling them... He's not pronouncing the curse. He's telling them what the curse is so you know what it is. All right? So He gets down and He's talking to the snake. And He tells the snake in verse 15, that's, that's Satan, He says, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed. Now that's plural. He's talking about all our kids don't like snakes. And and some freaks do, okay, but they will still bite you and you'll die. Well, that still happens right now on the planet, right? Then watch, he switches it from plural to singular. He said, and it, her seed, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. He's talking about Jesus. He promises Jesus, a redeemer, someone to get this mess back in track. That's what that was right there. Okay, now let's go to the slides. Galatians three, go to Galatians three and verse fifteen. Now I don't have a lot. I got a few scriptures up here, and then we're going to get into the word. So if you don't have a Bible, I don't, they all might be gone. But uh, y'all look in your Bible, so you know this isn't man's words; that it's God's words. Okay, and we'll make some notes here too. Galatians God, Galatians, Galenishus. Yeah, there we go. Galatians three and verse fifteen. This is brethren. This is Apostle Paul speaking. I speak after the manner of men, though it be a man's Covenant. It's a man's covenant. This covenant that we're in, it's a pagan ritual. It ain't Christian. It's pagan. It was a man's covenant. See, God's so cool, He'll meet you where you're at. He didn't make up anything new. What He did when He started this covenant, we'll see it, He took a pagan ritual that everybody on the planet understood at the time. So this is man's covenant. He says, though it's a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed... No man disannulleth. And that word is turned into annul. You ever heard of getting a wedding annulled? He said nobody can make it go away if it's been confirmed. Nobody can make it go away. He said, and you can't add to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And he saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, to thy seed which is Christ. Now we're back to Singular the same language that God used when he told that snake, it, singular, Eve's seed, would bruise, your, would bruise your head. Now he says, the promises were made to Abraham and his seed, singular, Christ. So who, who, was it, who was the promises made to? Abraham and who? Christ. You understand, nobody in between. Promises were not made to anybody other than Abraham and Christ when they made this covenant. So there were three players at this covenant. When God cuts covenant with Abraham, we'll see there's three players. God the Father, Jesus before He was born, as Christ, and Abraham. Three guys doing the covenant ritual. Pagan ritual. He says, And I say unto you that the covenant was confirmed of God in Christ before the law. That's before there was any Ten Commandments before it. And He said, What? Which was 430 years after. This covenant was started before the law. The law was a stopgap measure. It was a band-aid. God never wanted the law. You know, it tells us a little uh, later on in verse 19 that the law came because people were blowing it. They were transgressing the covenant. That's why He made the law. He said, the law came 430 years after, and the law can't disannul that it would make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance... See, I thought we were getting away from that. ...be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Hey, tell me you can't do your checklist and get the inheritance. Otherwise, God's a liar because He made the promise before the law ever existed. You following that? Alright, so jump down to verse 26. Because remember He said that the promises were made to who? Abraham and Christ. Uh, watch this, buckle up. Verse 26. For you are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, and that means immersed or born again, you have put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's. Uh oh. Do you understand that the Bible just calls you Christ? That'll blow your mind, won't it? He said, but if you're born again and you come into Christ, you're one with Him. You are Christ. So we have Christians were little Christs. He says you're Abraham's seed. And what? Heirs according to the promise. You following this? Alvin's about ready to giddy up. I love it. He's starting to get on. He's starting to follow us. See, because the covenant was Abraham, God, and Christ, and now who else is in the covenant? Yeah. You following this? Communion's not symbolic. I'm gonna show you here in a minute. Now, before we get on, I've got to tell you what the covenant is, because we've got to remember what it is, because is. We've talked about it a long time ago, but go to the next slide. i got them up here. Here's first five of the nine steps. There's nine steps to this pagan covenant. Okay, like Nimrod and the boys back way back when. This was their way of cutting a contract or entering into an agreement. This was the law of the land. You do these nine steps, and this thing is binding, and the only thing that we have close to it is marriage. It's the only covenant left in our society. And even that one, we've watered it down pretty good, haven't we? Okay? Unbreakable. So here's these steps. First thing to do is exchange coats. You ever see like the girl in high school wear the, the, the letterman's jacket from the quarterback? You know, I, let him know I'm going with him. That's part of this covenant. We, we swap out coats. We wear each other's coats. So the next thing is we change weapons. We exchange weapons. I give you my Glock 40 Joe and you give me your Desert Eagle. Well, why? Because when people see, when I pull that back and there's that Desert Eagle, they'd be like, oh, wait, that's Joe's weapon. He must be in covenant with Joe. Follow me? Now, before you cut covenant, you want to make sure that guy ain't fighting with a pocket knife, don't you? I don't want to give up my AK for a pocket knife. So this is, this is well thought out. We don't just jump into covenant with whoever. Okay? Then the next thing is, they, this is kind of gross, but this is a pagan ritual. Remember, this is pagan. They would take animals and they would split them right down the middle, from the skull all the way down to, you know, what you know. All right. I don't know what I'm going to say. Then they would take the two parts and they would lay them out against each other. So you'd have a half a brain on this side and a half a brain on that side. You'd have two legs on this side and two legs on that side. You'd have half guts over here and half guts over here. And you'd lay them out. And then the two covenant partners would stand back to back and then they would walk a figure eight. This one would walk around this side while the other one was walking around the other side. They'd meet in the middle and then switch and walk around this side and then they'd meet back again face to face instead of back to back. That figure eight walk, notice it has no beginning and no end. If you turn that symbol on its side, it is the symbol for infinity. That's where that symbol came from, from blood covenant. The mathematical symbol for infinity came from blood covenant. doesn't end. Now, what that signified was everything that I have is yours and everything that you have is mine. All the wealth belongs to both of us. Sounds like marriage, don't it? Should be, anyway. Everything, you don't have to ask me for anything, it's already yours. Oh, can I borrow that? No, it's already yours. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. You've got 100% equity, each of you. You put everything that each other has, well, it's not even a question. We don't even ask, we just take it. Because if you ask me, and I've already given it to you, well shut up, you're annoying me. Do you understand? I already went through this nine step process to tell you it's all yours, where well, there's no question. What's the next one on the list? What they would do now, this is the old blood brothers. Remember that? They would cut their palms and mix each other's blood with each other. Become the old blood brothers. That's part of this blood covenant. mix the blood. We have to mix each other's blood so that, you know, our blood's mixed. So that, that's, that bond, pagan, it's gross. See, but this is a man's covenant that God chose to use because that's where man was at when he showed up on the planet to do this. Then the next thing was they would take ashes and rub it in their, in their wound so it would scar. So when you said, hey, how you doing? Everyone would see, hey, man, that guy's in covenant. If you fight him, you're going to have to fight whoever his covenant partner is. You're not just messing with some guy out here. by No, he's got backers. So that's what that scar was, a sign or a token of the covenant. All right, go to the next one, Mandy. What would they would do is take covenant names. They would exchange covenant names. We change names. We do that in marriage, don't we? Yeah. We change names. Let each other know. Now here's your covenant name, here's my covenant. We change names now. Everyone knows we're in covenant. Hey, I'm not that same cat that you knew before. Kim's no longer Kim Westover. She's Kim Whitman. Everyone knows she's in covenant. Everyone who knew her as Kim Westover, they know she's in covenant. New covenant name. Next thing that they did is recite the terms of the covenant. You ever heard the wedding vows? Well, the terms of the covenant are everything, and this is what they would do. This is yours, this is yours, this is yours. Now it's mine. And then I would list, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine, now it's yours. And we'd take these terms and we'd say that we're going to put everything together, that you don't have to ask, that it's forever, and for how many ever generations? For how many ever generations? You could specify it's just between us, it's between the kids, and when the kids get old enough, they can enter the covenant if they want to, or it's forever. Our two families, you know, are forever. That's the terms of the covenant. You decide what the terms are while you're cutting covenant. Okay? Then we had what was a uh, number eight. They would share a memorial meal of bread and wine. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Why would they do this? What it, is, it would symbolize that because they're pagans now, they ain't eating each other's flesh and blood, but it would symbolize that I am now eating your body and drinking your blood. Now we have become one flesh. Have we heard that anywhere before? Sounds like marriage. One flesh. We do this over a meal to, to show... As part of the covenant, is one more thing in the covenant. It's like handing rings out at the wedding or saying the I do's at the wedding or saying your vow. See, it's just one more step in this process is that we drink wine and we eat bread. It's a step in the covenant. Then number nine is we go, we take that blood that was in, that the animals shed, because we only split a little bit of our blood, we take that blood, we put it in a bowl, we go plant a little itty bitty sapling, and we dump the blood on that tree, and so as that tree grows, and the blood is in the tree, it's a covenant tree, and as it grows, we know the covenant is growing stronger, and it's getting older, and that tree will be there a real long time, as a reminder, hey, we're in covenant. That's the nine steps. Now, oh, great, Andrew, what's that mean? What happened was God looked for a man that he could cut covenant with for one reason so he could get Jesus here. Do you understand? Jesus couldn't just show up legally. Legally, the planet belonged to Adam. Adam turned it over to Satan. Whatever trickery Satan used, it doesn't matter. It now belongs legally to Satan. You know, God can't violate law. If He did, it all comes apart. So what He had to do was find, a, find somebody that would give Him their only son so that he could give that guy his only son. The only way that'll work is through covenant. He found a guy, Abraham, he looked for 2,000 years, because it was 2,000 years from the garden until he got to Abraham. So he could find a guy that would just be crazy enough to go ahead and give him his only son, Isaac. When he did that, now they're in covenant because they have a legally binding contract according to the laws of that day. If he did this now, it'd be different because we don't do that. But in that day, that was the law. He found a guy crazy enough to give him his son so he could say, here's Jesus, I can give you my son legally now and get the whole thing back. And, it would, and you know what God did? He put it back into our hands. He didn't keep it. Jesus got it and then turned around and gave it right back to us. Alright, go to Genesis 14. We'll Is it all right if we go a little late today? People like, oh, I don't know. It'll be worth it, I promise. In Genesis 14, this is right before God starts cutting covenant with Abraham. This is when Lot was carried away with Sodom and Gomorrah. Friday night crew, you remember that? The five kings and the four kings and the five kings got overtaken by the four kings and they took Lot and all the wealth of Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham took his 318 guys and whooped up on 100,000 people. How many know God was in that battle? This was even before he was in covenant. He's coming back with all the spoils. A very, very, very rich guy. He's got the spoils of nine cities. Not just L.A. and New York, but add seven more. All that wealth. As he's coming back with this whole entourage, Melchizedek, who Friday night crowd, you remember this is the pre-incarnate Jesus. Melchizedek, high priest of God, comes out. And in verse 18 of Genesis 14, it says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, for he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham, the Most High God, possessor of the heaven and earth. Blessed be the Most High God, which have delivered thine enemies into thine hands. And he gave him tithes of all. See, follow this. Jesus comes out, gives bread and wine. And they're not in covenant yet. Why would he throw that step in there? Well, I'll tell you here in, in, at the end. But he throws the step in there, but it isn't even in covenant yet. Genesis 15, as soon as God gets tithes from Abraham, as soon as Abraham gives him, God says, alright, here's my covenant boy. As soon as he gave him, that gave God legal right to show up and start cutting covenant. Look at what happened in verse 1. Genesis 15 says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision and said, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Go to the next one, Mandy. I am thy shield. Literally in the Hebrew it says, I am your full-length crocodile skin coat. That's what it says in the Hebrew. God's rich, man. he got a crocodile skin, full-length trench. Then the next thing, he says, I'm your exceeding great reward. In the Hebrew, it says, I'm your exceeding great archer who shoots arrows on your behalf. Weapons. Now, Abraham already, he knows blood covenant. God's saying, I'm giving you my coat, and here's my weapons. He knows immediately that God's wanting to cut covenant. Why? It's just natural part of the law. I mean, you just know it. If somebody asks you, would you marry me, you know what's coming next, right? Don't you? In our society, that's what's going on here. How do you know? Because look what Abraham's response is. Okay, God, let's get married. Now he said, Lord God, what will you give me? Hey, what do you got to give me? You want to cut covenant with me? What do you have to give me? I don't have a child. I'm childless. What is it that you're going to give me? you, you see this? Even Abraham's careful who he's cutting covenant with. He knows how, what a big deal it is. He said, what would you give me seeing I go childless? The steward of my house, Eliezer of Damascus, is my heir. He said, Behold, you've given me no seed. This servant, one born in my house, is my heir. And the word of the Lord came saying to him, This one won't be your heir, but he'll come forth out of your own bow; shall be your heir. So we got step one and step two of the covenant. Here's my coat, wear it, Abraham, and here's my weapons. Abraham said, I don't know about all that. What do you got? He said, Don't worry, I'll take care of it. Then look what he promises him. He says, And he brought him abroad, and he said, Look towards the heaven and tell the stars if you're able to number them. He said, That's how your seed's going to be. And he believed the Lord and accounted to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord and I brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Whereby shall I know that I'll inherit it? Wait, I thought he believed the Lord and it was for righteousness. What happened here? He believed that one. Now God gave him another one. He said, well, how am I going to believe that one? How do I know? And what happened? He said, And take me a heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a pigeon. And he took them and he divided them right down the middle and laid each piece against each other, but the birds he divided not. Step number three. We took these animals, we split them and we laid them out. Now we got blood everywhere. Abraham knows covenant's coming. He knows what to do. God told him to do it. And now these boys are three steps into the covenant. Now, next thing is they got to do that walk. You know what? Abraham's a man that has a sin nature. He can't keep the covenant. His spirit's not alive. He's still racked with sin nature. He can't keep the covenant. He cannot keep His Word. You can't keep yours, can you? Like, yeah, yeah, okay. So let's you what happened here in verse 11. It says, And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away, and the sun was going down, and a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell on him. Now I know that ain't God. Where's horror and darkness come from? Yeah, Satan's like, I know what's going on here, and so he comes to find out what's going on. Who are you cutting covenant with? See, Satan's scared now because he knows something's up. So he comes, and so now he's witnessing this. And he said unto Abraham, "Guess God talking to Abraham, he says, "No, of a that your seed shall be a stranger. And then he tells them what will happen in Egypt. Okay? Then he falls, he's in this deep sleep. And now look in verse 17. It says, And it came to pass that the sun went down, and it was dark. And behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. he looked. Abraham saw something that looked like a smoking furnace and a burning lamp do this figure-eight covenant walk. The smoking furnace is God the Father and the burning lamp is Jesus. How do you know that? Because I know in Galatians it said that God and Christ were there to confirm the covenant. They did the walk together. Jesus, as the seed of Abraham, pre-incarnate, walked the walk because He knew He could keep His Word. So He stood in for Abraham and God the Father and Jesus the Son did the covenant walk for Abraham, and there's the three players that we did this covenant. That's the first three steps. Abraham wakes up, he goes home to tell Sarah, and she says, We ain't getting no baby that way. You go sleep with Hagar. He said, I think her light's still on, and he ran over there. <laughs> then they got Ishmael. Fourteen years goes by, and we only got three of the nine steps, don't we? Fourteen years goes by, and God's finally had enough. But Abram, his name's Abram, means uh, Mac Daddy or High Father. He's tired of this, he's got two women. He's got his boy. Abraham don't care about the promise. He's got his little boy. He don't care. what the, He figured he already got his promise. So God shows up in verse, uh, chapter 17 and verse 1. This is in Abraham's 99 years old. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and He said unto him, I am El Shaddai, Almighty God. He said, walk before me and be thou perfect. You better straighten up and fly right, boy. We've got a covenant going here. He said, and I'll make my covenant between me and thee, and I'll multiply thee exceedingly. As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and you shall be a father of many nations, and thy name shall be called Abram no more, but shall be called Abraham. Name change. We've got covenant names. Do you know after this, God was always referred to Himself as, I'm the God of Abraham? He took Abraham's name. He didn't say, I'm God Almighty. He said, I'm the God of Abraham. And then when Isaac got in the covenant, he said, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac. And when Jacob got in, he said, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That's how he called himself. He, took, he changed Abraham's name to a covenant name, which means father of many nations. And he took Abraham's name as, I'm the God of Abraham. Changing names. And we're also, we're going to talk about the, the terms of the covenant, because what's he say? He says, I'll make you exceeding fruitful and I'll multiply you. Kings will come out of you in verse 6. Verse 7, I'll establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed and their generations for an everlasting covenant. How long? Yeah, not just one generation, not two generations. Everlasting. He said, and I'll give you Canaan for a possession, and I'll be their God. He said, you do all that for me. And he goes, I'll do all that for you, and all you've got to do for me is just let me be your God. That means you serve me, you worship me, you don't worship any other God. You give me all of you, and I'll give you all of me. How I mean, That's a good deal. God's got more to give than you got. So there's step seven, and oh, well, what about you know scar in the hand and all? We'll look down here in verse eleven. Well, starting verse ten, he said, "This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and thee and your seed after thee. Every man child shall be circumcised among you, and you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant between you and me." Ha ha ha! God, that's funny. Couldn't we just do a scar on her hand? Now the women don't care, but man, I'm telling you what, that's a funny scar, isn't it, God? But that's the token. So there's another step. Step number seven, we have a scar. So we did three more steps. Step five was a scar. Three more steps. We did name change, we got the scar, and what? Terms of the covenant. We're still missing three. Go to the next one, man. Did you notice that the three that we never got to was mixed the blood, then we didn't do the meal with bread and wine, and we didn't plant a tree and sprinkle blood on it. Do you all know where I'm going with this? How does God mix blood with man? How did he do that? Turn to Matthew 1. Matthew 1 and verse... Uh, was it up there? Yeah, 20. This is the angel talking to Joseph. He said, But while Joseph thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take Mary, your wife, For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She's pregnant, it says, by the Holy Ghost. The sperm of the Holy Ghost fertilized the egg of Mary, and God mixed His blood with man. Step number four. That's why the virgin birth is important, because otherwise it will just be man and man's blood. Do you you follow that? Step of the covenant. Turn over to Matthew 26. Now we get to this uh, meal of bread and wine. Notice it never happened with Abraham during the covenant. Why? Because it wasn't toward the end that God wanted to put it here. Matthew 26, and I guess what verse? 26? Is that what you got up there? And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and blessed it, and He broke it, and He gave it to the disciples. He said, Take, eat, this is My body. And He took the cup, and He gave thanks, and He gave it to them. Drink ye all of it, for this is My blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sin. Now that word new right here in the Greek is not neo-new. That's the word new for like, oh, that's a new car, that's a new covenant, old covenant. No. This word new means freshness of age. He said, this is my blood of the freshly completed covenant. It's freshly aged. It's freshly matured. This is the covenant. It's new because I'm completing it. That's what He told them. My blood is going to complete the covenant. Because what's the last step that we haven't done yet? Take blood and sprinkle it on a tree to complete the covenant. He said, this is my blood for this freshly completed covenant, the one that was started 2,000 years ago. Turn over to John 19 and we'll see that. This is what happened on Good Friday. This is all foundation to where I want to go today. (laughs) But we had to get it so you can understand these steps. Let's go up and I'll start in verse 28. Now, you you realize that there is no punctuation or capitalization in the original text, right? The translators put that in. So I'm going to read this without this punctuation that's in here. And it said, and after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now fulfilled, or all things that were now accomplished that the Scripture might be fulfilled, take that comma out of there. He said this, and knowing that all things now accomplished that the Scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. He got it all done finally. He said, I'm thirsty. Because he's hanging up on that cross, the blood is on the tree, the tree is up there, and now he knows that the covenant is, he did his job. He did his job. He said, now I'm thirsty. Now there was a vestige, or a vessel with, uh, full of vinegar, and they took the sponge in the vinegar and put it on, upon the hyssop up to his mouth. They took a spear and put a sponge up, and he drank out of it. And when Jesus received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. What's finished? The covenant is finished. He finally got the job done. That's what that's all about. Go to the next one, man. This covenant that was started 2,000 years ago with God, Abraham, and Jesus before He got His blood mixed with man and became Jesus, they started that covenant way back then. That's why it was so important. The law came in order to keep the bloodline clean. Remember that from Friday night when we went through the whole line of the covenant? till Jesus could get here. Jesus did step four by showing up and being born. He did step eight with the meal last supper meal of bread and wine the only thing left was that he had to do what sprinkle blood on the tree sprinkle blood on the tree that's the only thing he had left to do now this brings us to communion why is it what's the deal for us do you understand that why jesus instituted communion and why we do it now is so that you are an equal partner with god abraham and jesus in the covenant ritual that's it's not symbolic He's cutting you in on the covenant deal. Every time we take communion, it's like that first time 4,000 years ago when God said, I'll give you my coat and my weapons. It's not just some religious little hoo-ha. You're an equal partner. Now, I'm going to show you in the Word because you know I don't like to say nothing unless I can back it up with the Word, right? Mm -hmm. All right, flip over to 1 Corinthians 10. We're off and running now. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? We call it communion. The Apostle Paul calls it communion. Do you know what that word means? Partnership. It means equal partner. I'm proven to you by the Word. You go look it up in the Greek yourself. It says that you're a participant. Of the body and blood of Christ. Of the covenant. You're an equal partner with the covenant. Now, I'm showing it to you in the Word that you are an equal partner. It's right there. All right, Father, you've got to help me out with this stuff now. Uh, this week, while I was preparing for this, the, uh, God told me to go watch The Passion. Y'all ever seen that? I didn't want to see it. Uh, we've been bucking up. I mean, I'm avoiding it like the plague. You know, I mean, those of you who know me know I'm a big crybaby, right? You all know that. You know it, don't you? What really gets me is, like, when somebody else sacrifices for me. That's why I wear this little wristband here. Jack gave it to me for Christmas, and it's black, but you know what? It's to remember all the people that died in law enforcement and in the military sacrificing in the Homeland Security deal so that we could be free. So every time I'm out on the ball field with Jack or Drew playing, I look down at it the reason that I could play Little League is because somebody's over there spilling their blood for me. That makes me cry. So I didn't really want to watch The Passion. I know this story and I I figured, man, I'll just be nothing but a big giant crybaby on the floor. Weirdest thing happened, though, while I was watching it. I'm, I'm watching Jesus, you know, get beat. And then rods. And then he stands back up. And man, man, I'm like, you are the man. He took 39 rods and then he still stood back. And they're like, this guy should be dead. So then they go to the scourging. Right? And they start ripping his flesh off. And just ripping it. And ripping it. And instead of me crying, you know what the Spirit of the Lord told me? He said, you know, Jesus didn't have to do any of that for the covenant. What? No, step number nine. All he had to do was spill blood on the tree. Sprinkle blood on the tree and raise it up. Boom, covenant's over. He didn't have to do anything in his body. Do you know he almost didn't make it to doing step nine because he took that detour and got beat and got bruised and got ripped and stripped? His flesh ripped right off. You know when Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, I lay it down and I take it up? That dude should have been dead long before he ever carried the cross all the way up to the hill. But he knew, he, that's why he said, I thirst. When he realized it's all over, I finally made it. I thirst. Do you know, he wasn't afraid. When he was in the garden, it said fear came on him. You know what he was afraid? He was afraid about going to hell. Not, being, not the fear in his body. Because he even told people, he said, don't fear people that can destroy your body. You, feel somebody, you fear the person who can destroy your body and soul in hell. That's who you fear. Why would he tell you not to fear the pain if he was going to? He didn't care about that. In fact, he didn't care about it. He took a detour to make sure that he got beaten and bruised and ripped and stripped. Why? It's not part of the covenant. Why would he do it? 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 23. Paul says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night which He was betrayed, took bread. Oh, communion. Communion. And he gave thanks, and he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Say, for me. For me. Then he said, do this and remember of to me. Now what about the blood? Remember in Matthew 26? What was the blood for? The remission of sins. Watch this. Our sins were forgiven when that blood was put on the tree. He didn't need to have his body broken. Our sins were already forgiven. End of the covenant. Why did he have his body broken? For you, for what point? What what reason would he do all that? Turn to Isaiah fifty-three and let's find out why his body was broken. Isaiah fifty-three and verse four. It says, "Surely he hath borne our griefs." Do you know that word grief. Do you have any griefs in your life? You know, you don't have to because Jesus bore them in his body. Why was his body broken? So you don't have to have anxiety or grief. You have any anxiety? That's what the word literally means anxiety. You got anxiety about your bills? You don't have to because Jesus took a detour to take his body getting beat and smashed so you don't have to. What's next? And he carried our sorrows. You got any sorrows in life? You don't have to. Jesus took a detour from the covenant and was beaten. So he could bear that in his body so you don't have to. What's next? It says, yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. That ain't sin. You know what transgressions are? Oh, yeah, I was in the Marine Corps. We would call in an airstrike. The pilot want to know an ingress, what's the way in? And an egress, the way out. Do you know what a transgress is? It's a way through. Now what would happen is transgression literally means that you crossed a border from one kingdom into another. Every time that you cross from having dominion, because who has dominion? You do. He made you a king. Every time you cross over from that border into Satan's dominion and you let him dominate you, Jesus took His body getting all beat up so that you don't have to stay over here in this dominion. You come right on back over here and you take dominion. That's why His body was broken. For you. Not for sins. What's next? Are iniquities. Iniquities. Now we think, oh, that's sin. No, it's not. The word iniquity literally means to be disposed towards evil. Do you all remember evil? Adversity, affliction, calamity, misery. How many of you are predisposed immediately when something comes along? You predisposed to go right towards evil. Oh yeah, I knew it was gonna happen. Oh, this is bad. Oh calamity. Oh, misery. I knew that would happen. Anybody? Of course you do. I do too. Because that's part of what happened when we lost it in the garden. Jesus' body was beaten so we don't have to be predisposed towards misery and affliction and calamity and grief and sorrow and trouble. Amen. You, don't, you don't have to be dominated by that. What was the next one? And the chastisement of our peace, our shalom, was upon Him. Chastisement means He took rods. When I was in Australia, they still caned. When you got chastised, the headmaster wiped you with the cane. That's what happened to Jesus. Why? So we could have shalom, which means literally. I mean, it says there's some translations culture that says nothing missing, nothing broken in your life, but it's a sevenfold peace. Every area in your life, you have safety. Y'all remember this from a couple weeks ago? What else? Happy welfare. Yeah. Your emotions are good. Wellness. You have mental health. Health. Physical health. You have prosperity. Financial health. You have peace. Good relationships, and you have favor. Spiritual health. Every area, Jesus took rods on His back and on His legs so that you could have every area of your life running on full high octane. It's perfect. Right here now. The blood's for when you get to heaven. Body now. Oh, and then look at the last one. With His stripes we are healed. Now, while I'm watching this on The Passion... And he's stripped. And then they'd roll him over and he starts taking it on the front. The Spirit of the Lord rose up on the inside of me and he said, that was for you. And so I'm like, well, God, I'm not worthy of that. He said, you want to know when you're not worthy of that? When you let sickness dominate your body. How dare you be sick when Jesus took stripes on His back so you don't have to? You want to know blasphemy? God's making me sick to teach me something. Blasphemy! How dare you blame God when Jesus took stripes on his back so you could be healed? Don't you dare profane his name by saying God made me sick. God made my life miserable. God's making me poor. God's making me keeping me down. Blasphemy. You're not worthy of the body of Christ. That's what rose up on the inside of me. I was like, "Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry." I would rather just been sitting there crying and going, I'm not worthy. You want to not be worthy, it's going to take some work. You don't let nothing dominate you. Turn back over to 1 Corinthians. Verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you do it to show the Lord's death till He comes. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, I was brought up, my mom and daddy have more integrity and more holiness than any person, people I know on the planet. Total integrity. They don't lie about nothing. I never heard a not even slang cuss word come out of my daddy's mouth. But he taught me, he said, You know what? You're unworthy. If you have any sin in your life, before you come here and take communion, you're unworthy of it, and you'll drink to yourself damnation. That's what we've been taught. Wrong. What took care of sin? The blood. Now, God brought me to the scripture right after he yelled at me about blasphemy. At least he didn't call me a whore this time. That happened before. (laughs) I said, you've got to show me in the Word. I mean, I understand it, but you show me in the Word, Lord. He said, right here. I said, well, that that means sin. He said, no, it doesn't. Go look in the Greek. So I looked it up. See that word where it says, this phrase, it says, not discerning the Lord's body? That word not is translated 15 times, including over in 1 Corinthians 6, and you look at it so you can know I'm not lying about it. 1 Corinthians 6.15. We'll read it first. It says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? God forbid. That's the word that they translated not. God forbid. See the word discerning over in 1 Corinthians 11? That word is the same exact word, Doubt. Jesus used it in Mark 11:23 23 and 24. Whatever you should say, but you doubt not in your heart. It's the same word, waver. Let no man waver. Any man who wavers, don't let him think he's going to receive anything of the Lord. Same word, stagger. Remember where Abraham staggered not, he doubted not. This is the word doubting. Doubting. So look, this is really what this says in the Greek. You've got to get rid of all the, transla- the religious translators, okay? And let's find out what it really said in the original. It says this. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation unto himself. God forbid doubting the Lord's body. God forbid that you doubt the Lord's body. That's when He's yelling blasphemy. God, because you doubt it. I doubt it. Anytime that you let sickness reign in your body, you're doubting the Lord's body. You let sickness have dominion over you, you're doubting what He did in His body. You're unworthy of the covenant. He said, and you, and you screw yourself over. If you partake of this covenant and you doubt the Lord's body, he said you're unworthy of it, and you're guilty of hanging him on the cross. Not sin. See, I knew people, they'd be like, they wouldn't take this covenant because they weren't married, and they were having sexual relations outside the covenant, outside marriage covenant. So they would think, oh, I'm unworthy. No, that sin's covered by the blood. That has nothing to do with his body. He says, God forbid you doubt the body. That's what makes you unworthy. For you to do that because you have sin in your life, you're doubting the blood. But He never tells us doubt the blood because really we never really doubt the blood. Do you know anybody that really doubts the blood? We all, Any born-again person, they believe they're going to heaven. They believe Jesus' blood washed their sin. They don't doubt the blood. Ninety-nine and a half percent of the body of Christ have unworthily been drinking this because they doubt the body. Do you understand that it says that Jesus became... Well, let's just look at it. 2 Corinthians 8. See, it's not just about healing; it's every area of your life. 2 Corinthians eight and verse nine. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for her, his your sakes, I'm sorry, for your sakes he became poor, through his poverty you might be rich. If you doubt, listen. Blasphemy that you be poor and you be in poverty. Do you know Jesus was rich while he was here on the planet? Oh no, he lived poor. Really? What was the first thing out the gate that happened? Remember the wise men? They show up with a truckload of a couple million dollars worth of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Was he poor? Do I need to go on? Or do you all just believe? You you all search it out. When he told he's going to feed the 5,000, you know what he says? He tells them, hey, you guys give them something to eat. They said, Jesus, all we have is one year's salary. We only got 50 grand cash. Can that feed 5,000? The boys are carrying one year's salary cash in their pocket. Are you? That's the ministry team. Just reading the Bible. What, what? You know, he had a big ship. How many of you have a boat that you travel back and forth on? Not only that, he had a whole fleet. It says in Mark, it says, when he went over to the other side, remember when he spoke to the thing and told me It said other little ships went with him. He had a whole fleet for his ministry team. He didn't have one, he had a bunch. How many of you got? He had all that. When his body was broken, he was stripped down and became poor. He was like a beggar, an indigent person. They hung him on the cross. Like a common thief. He did that so you could be rich. His body was broken so you could be rich. Blasphemy, staying in lack. You doubt the Lord's body. Don't you drink of this, because this is, see, this isn't symbolic. This is actually at the covenant table. We're there with Abraham, God, and Christ. If you doubt, hey, don't you, even, if you doubt the body, you doubt that you have dominion, you doubt that healing belongs to you, you doubt that riches and honor and life. Remember the covenant, riches, honor and life? If you doubt that, don't you even put that to your lips. He said, because you're drinking damnation to yourself. It ain't about sin. The blood covered sin. And the very next thing he says in verse 30, For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. They die early. Think about that. That described most of the body of Christ. That word weak means impotent. They have no power. They got no power over addictions. They got no power over sin. They got no power over finances. They got no power over their own body. And then they're sick, and they, some of them even die early, he said. Why? Because you doubted the Lord's body. He took, man, that is just crazy for you to doubt healing. That's crazy for you to, to doubt riches belong to you. Jesus didn't have to take that detour. He did it for you. He even said, A body broken for you. So you can have everything that you want in life. He said, but when we are judged... Oh no, back up, verse 30. It says, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. See that word judge, the first judge? For if we would judge, it says this literally. That's the same word as doubt. It's the same exact word. If we would doubt ourselves... If you would just doubt yourself instead of doubting the Lord's body. This is Paul's good advice right here. If you would just doubt yourselves, he said, then you wouldn't be judged. And that word judge at the end means a losing sentence. You wouldn't lose. If you would just doubt yourself, you wouldn't lose in life. Doubt your own self. Don't doubt the body. If you're going to doubt something, doubt you. You don't doubt the body. He said, if you do that, you don't lose in life. You won't get a losing sentence. He said, but when we are judged, when we do lose... It says, We are chastened of the Lord. See, people think, Oh, see, God's chasing me. No, it literally says in the Greek, When you do lose, go back and be trained up again as a little child under the Lord. When you lose, then you go back at, and you act like a kid. Well, I don't, obviously, I made a mistake here. I need to know something. So you go back and you put yourself under the Lord and you get trained up like a child would again. And then what happens? He said, Then that you should not be condemned with the world. And that literally says that you would negate the judgment that comes on being union, in union with the world. When you hook up with the world, there's a judgment that comes on that. When you do it man's way, he said, you know what? If you doubt yourself, you go ahead and get some training on you, you'll negate that judgment. You'll negate losing every time. You'll negate it. You'll reverse it. Here's the good news. So if you've been living in a place where you've been, getting, you've been, getting, you've been losing, he said, doubt yourself. Get some training under the Lord, and guess what? It'll negate that. It'll negate it. See, it'll only take a second to stop doubting the Lord's body. it only take you a second. Whoop, all right. And start doubting yourself. Just make that switch on the inside. That's all we've got to do. It's easy. And he says this, Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry for one another. If any man be hungry, let him eat at home. That you not come together under da- uh, condemnation. He said, just wait for each other and make sure that everybody's in faith and we're not doubting the Lord's body. Just take some time. If you're hungry, grab a snack at home. This is not for snacking. This is covenant time. Okay? So just wait for one another until everybody says, yeah, we're all good. And give everybody a chance to not doubt the Lord's body and then go ahead and partake of the covenant step number eight. Now, don't take, do not partake of this covenant line. This is like getting married, guys. See, these people, I've seen ministers, well, I take, I take communion every day. You obviously don't understand what it is. It also says you do it when you come together. So if you're just taking it by yourself in your house, you ain't doing, you're, not part of, you're not really doing what it says to do. He always tells you to come together and do it. He says when you come together and you do this. And you don't be doing it every... You know, I know somebody, they do it every week. Really? Are you that serious every time you come in here that you make sure and you examine yourself every week that you make sure that you're not doubting the Lord's body and that you're entering into that covenant that you won't break it? That you, every time you enter, what we're saying is, God, I give you all that I have because I want all that you have. We don't do that every week. Every day, once a month. You can, but are you taking the time to make sure that you're really there and you're saying, God, I'm giving you everything? Are you examining yourself every area of your life? I'm giving you 100% equity, God, because I want 100% equity with you. That's what this is. Some religious little hoo-ha. Ooh. Oh, yay, buddy and blood, yeah, I'm good. Now, this is more on our end than his end. All his equity's there. It's been there for, you know, waiting to give it to you you know you get the equity and the proportion that you give yours? Now I'm getting into next week, but God has to hear and do you the same level that you hear and do Him. You want to command some stuff? You start doing what He says because then He has obligated Himself to do what you say. That's the covenant. Everything that I got is yours. Everything that you got is mine. You want all God's riches? Start giving yours away. That's crazy, right? The whole thing's crazy. The whole thing's crazy. But it works. It does. Now, Earl, will you um, cue up our uh, tape? What I want to do, I'm gonna, we're going to spend a couple minutes before we bring the kids in because I want Mama and the daddies to have some time by themselves, individually. I've got, uh, got a soundtrack up here we're going to play. It's going to be the communion music. I'm going to give you guys a few minutes, I don't know, until the Lord says, go ahead and go. Then we'll go back and we'll get the kids and we'll bring them in. And then we're going to do communion, step number eight. Now, we're all kind of solemn and beat down, but I'm telling you what, this is a happy time. At a marriage, it's happy. Whoo, this is good. Listen, we're coming to the... Really, for the first time probably in most of our lives that we're really understanding that we're coming to the covenant table here today. Enjoy it. You're, You're an equal partner with God, Abraham, and Jesus. Enjoy this. There's a lot of power in this. So just make the adjustment. Yeah, you know what, Lord? I don't doubt your body. I'm sorry that I did. Forgive me. He will. He did. It's under the blood. Now don't doubt the body. Let's get into this covenant and enjoy the ritual. And man, watch it take off. Because now you understand riches, honor, and life legally belong to you. Can't be undone. That blows me away that God would think of us 4,000 years ago. And he held back this one little thing. He held back this step number eight so that we'll, all of us could be part of it. He's thinking of you way back at the beginning. That's his character. That's just so cool. Let's not doubt his body again. Let's not doubt it. He said, take heed of my body. It's broken for you so you could have healing, prosperity, riches, honor in life. You would win in life. Let's take you to his body. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. And he said, take this cup, which we've never doubted this one. This one will go down a lot easier. He said, it's my blood. Pay for all the sins. They're gone. So let's take a drink. Hallelujah. Well, stand your feet with me. We'll just tell them thank you from our feet. Just tell them thank you out of your own heart. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Lord. Father, we just thank You and we praise You for a Father's love that would let Your Son go through that. And Jesus, I thank You for paying the price for me paid in full, not just for eternity, but right now on the planet that I could have dominion and reign as a king and a priest. I won't let You down, Lord Jesus. You didn't do it in vain. I won't doubt Your body. Thank You, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.